ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we're now coming to the conclusion of the chapter of the prayer in the section regarding the description of the prayer. For the last several months, we've been discussing the description of the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ in accordance to the hadith, Sallu kama ra'aytumuni usalli, pray as you have seen me pray. So we've been discussing the various different narrations that have been mentioned regarding the description of how the Prophet ﷺ used to pray. In order that we may then emulate that prayer, we may then pray upon the same mannerism, because as we said, the complete description of the Prophet's prayer is when a person fulfills the pillars of the prayer, and the obligations of the prayer, and also the sunan acts of the prayer. So today, we come to the final few narrations regarding the description of how the Prophet ﷺ used to pray. We firstly have the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu qal, qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, إِذَا تَشَهَّدَ أَحَدُكُمْ فَلْيَسْتَعِذْ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ أَرْبَعٍ يَقُولُ اللَّهُمَّ إِنِّي أَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ عَذَابِ جَهَنَّمْ وَمِنْ عَذَابِ الْقَبْرِ وَمِنْ فِتْنَةِ الْمَحْيَا وَالْمَمَاتِ وَمِنْ فِتْنَةِ الْمَسِيحِ الدَّجَّالِ مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ وَفِي رِوَايَةٍ وَفِي رِوَايَةٍ لِمُسْلِمٍ إِذَا فَرِغَ أَحَدُكُمْ مِنْ التَّشَهُّدِ الْأَخِيرِ this hadith of Abu Hurairah anhu, he says that the messenger of Allah وسلم, said, when one of you has done the tashahud, then after that, seek refuge in Allah from four things. Seek refuge in Allah from four things. This is the dua that you recite towards the end of the sitting, the final sitting before you are going to conclude your prayer. You've done the tashahud, you've done what we mentioned in the previous narration regarding the salutations upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. Then after that now, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, when you have concluded those supplications, then seek refuge in Allah from four things. Make this dua, from four things. Those four are, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min a'adhabi jahannam. That you seek refuge in Allah from the punishment of the fire. Seeking refuge in Allah, Allahumma, O oh Allah, inni a'udhu bika. Indeed, I seek refuge in you. I seek refuge in you. Min a'adhabi jahannam. From the punishment of the fire. The fire, Jahannam, 
That is one of the names of the hellfire. And there are various names mentioned within the Qur'an and the Sunnah for the hellfire. Jahannam is one of them. Saqr is another one. Al-Hawiyah, As-Sa'ir. There are various different names that are mentioned for the hellfire. Jahannam is one of those names. That is the first thing. To seek refuge in Allah, to seek protection in Allah from the punishment of the hellfire. Secondly, وَمِنْ عَذَابِ الْقَبْرِ To seek refuge and protection in Allah from the punishment of the grave. To seek refuge and protection in Allah from the punishment of the grave. This hadith therefore highlights to you, it affirms to you, it confirms to you that indeed there is a punishment of the grave. That there is punishment and there is blessing within the grave, within the barzakh, before the day of judgment is established. So a person, he seeks refuge from the punishment that occurs within the grave. The punishment that occurs in the barzakh. The barzakh being from after you die, up until then the day of judgment is established. A person dies and he goes and he remains in barzakh. He will be in his grave, he will be in the barzakh. Up until the day of judgment is established and then he will be raised up from his grave. So in this time, whilst a person is in the barzakh, then it is established from the aqeedah of Ahl sunnah wal jama'ah, that there is punishment which occurs within this barzakh, and there is blessing that occurs within this barzakh. So as for the believer, as for the righteous, then there are narrations that are mentioned, regarding how the righteous, the believers, their graves, they will be expanded for them. And their graves will be made spacious for them. They will be able to see spaciousness as far as the eyesight can go. This will be their state within their graves. They will not be in a state of being squashed or tightened. Rather, for the believers and the righteous, it is mentioned that their graves will be made spacious and wide, and the eyesight as far as you can see, in terms of the spaciousness of the grave, and a door will be opened up to the doors of paradise, and his barzakh, his grave, will be as if a garden from the gardens of paradise. So this is the blessings that the righteous get in their graves. The blessings for the righteous, uh, the believers within their graves, that the grave is made a blessing for them, and a door to paradise is opened for them, and they see their place within paradise, and the smells of paradise, they come to them, the fragrances of paradise, all of that for the righteous and the believers. As for those who are not upon that righteousness, the wrongdoers, the oppressors, the disbelievers, then it's mentioned regarding their graves, how they will be tightened and squashed upon them, to the extent that their bones are crushed, their ribs are crushed, from the tightened nature of their grave, and that a door to hellfire is opened, 
and the heat of the hellfire, it comes to them. And the evil smells of the hellfire, they come to them. So this is what is mentioned regarding the disbelievers, the wrongdoers, those who were oppressors in their graves. So we know from the aqeedah of Ahl Sunnah, that when a person dies, he will be in this barzakh, either in blessing, and if not that, then in the punishment. And that will remain up until the day of judgment, until the hour is established and the people are then resurrected from their graves. So here the Prophet ﷺ, the second thing that he mentioned was to seek refuge in Allah, to seek protection in Allah from the punishment of the grave. The punishment that occurs within the grave after the death of a person. Then the Prophet ﷺ mentioned a third thing. The third thing mentioned, وَمِن فِتْنَةِ الْمَحْيَا وَالْمَمَاتِ To seek refuge in Allah, to seek protection in Allah from the trials and the tribulations of this world, of this life, and the trials and the tribulations that occur at death. The trials and the tribulations of this worldly life that we are in. Because indeed, Allah has created us and has placed upon us tests, placed upon us trials. Then those trials and those tests, they come in various forms. They may be in the form of desires, the whisperings of the shaitan to a person. They may be in the form of doubts, from the whisperings of the shaitan to a person. These doubts and desires and all types of other trials and tribulations that occur to a person during his life, then you seek refuge in Allah and protection in Allah from these trials and tribulations, these fitan that may come to a person during his life. For indeed these trials and tribulations, they may cause a person to deviate away. They may cause a person to deviate away from the Qur'an and the Sunnah, to deviate away from the path of Allah. Such may be the trials and the tribulations that a person he faces in the doubts and the desires that a person he faces from the whisperings of the shaitan. So you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to keep you firm upon that upright methodology. So you seek the refuge in Allah and protection in Allah from the trials and tribulations of this life. And similarly, al-mamat. You seek refuge in Allah from the trials and tribulations of death. Because it is mentioned from amongst those trials is the questioning of the grave that occurs. When the angels, they will come and they will sit the person up and then they will question him, who is your Lord? What is your religion? Who is your prophet? So as for the believers, they will be able to answer. And as for the disbelievers and the wrongdoers, then they are the ones who will be in a state of confusion, in a state of bewilderment, in a state where they are not able to answer to these questions. And that is why Allah said in the Qur'an, يُثَبِّتُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِالْقَوْلِ الثَّابِتِ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
keeps firm those who believe with an upright and established and firm statement in this world by being upon the upright way, by being upon the guided methodology, وَفِي akhirah, And also being upon that upright and grounded way in the hereafter, meaning in the grave, when the test it occurs, that the person will be able to answer with the correct answers. So this is also what the Prophet ﷺ advised us and told us and commanded us to seek refuge in Allah for. And that is mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ similarly, إِنَّكُمْ تُفْتَنُونَ فِي قُبُورِكُمْ Indeed, you will be tested in your graves. So you seek refuge in Allah and protection in Allah from this trial that you may be successful in it. Then the fourth thing that the Prophet ﷺ, he commanded us to seek refuge in Allah regarding is fitna til masih dajjal from the fitna of the dajjal. The dajjal it is indeed a great fitna, a great trial and tribulation that will occur, and he is from the creations of Allah that will be sent. He will appear. At the end of time, and he will create a great, enormous level of fitna, a great and enormous level of trial for the people. And this is from the major signs of the hour, when the Dajjal it appears, such is the level of the fitna that will occur from the Dajjal, the severity of the fitna that will occur, that all of the prophets and messengers, they used to warn their people from the Dajjal, the fitna of the Dajjal. His fitna will be such that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will allow him. He will be able to cause the rain to come down when he commands it. He'll be able to stop the vegetation from growing or to command it to grow when he does so. He will come to a person and say to him, do you believe in me? The person will say no, so he will cut him in half. And then bring him together again and say, do you believe now? He will say no. He will cut him in half again. And then bring him again and say, do you believe in me now? And the third time he will not be able to do anything to him. Such are the great types of affairs that will occur at the time of the Dajjal. So this individual, the Dajjal, the descriptions are mentioned in the Sunnah regarding him, regarding the description of his eyes and how he is uh, obstructed in one of his eyes and it is deformed and regarding how it will be written on his forehead, kafir. These various descriptions are mentioned regarding the Dajjal. So the Prophet ﷺ, he commanded us to seek refuge from the trial of the Dajjal. For indeed when the Dajjal he comes, many of the people will be misguided and misled and fall into that wrong and incorrect following of the Dajjal and be led astray as a consequence. So these are the four things that the Prophet ﷺ, he commanded us to seek refuge in Allah at the end of our prayer in your final sitting. This is one of the du'as that you should recite. As-Shaykh Al-Fawzan, he says that 
a Muslim should guard over these affairs, guard over seeking protection in Allah, seeking refuge in Allah from these four things at the end of the prayer. Some of the scholars even say that it is an obligation to recite this dua at the end of the prayer. Some scholars even say that it is an obligation to recite this dua, to seek refuge in those four things at the end of the prayer. However, what appears to be the case, as the majority of the scholars they state, that the recitation of this dua is not an obligation as such, but it is something highly recommended. It is mustahab, it is something you should recite at the end of your prayer, seeking refuge in Allah from the trials and the tribulations of these four affairs that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned. So that is one of the du'as that is in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ to read at the end of the prayer before concluding the prayer and giving the salam. The next hadith we have, عن أبي بكر الصديق رضي الله عنه أنه قال لرسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu says that he said to the messenger of Allah, علمني دعاء أدعو به في صلاتي Teach me a dua that I can supplicate with in my prayer. Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Teach me a dua that I can supplicate with in my prayer. فَيُضَافُ هَذَا أَيْضًا so the shaykh says, this is a dua that can be added on. This dua that the Prophet ﷺ now taught Abu Bakr, which we'll come to, this is another dua that can be recited at the end of the prayer. What is this dua then? The Prophet ﷺ said, قال, قل, say, Allahumma inni ظلمتu nafsi ظلman kathira, wala yaghfiru al-dhunuba illa ant, faghfir li maghfiratan min indika warhamni, إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْغَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ A hadith agreed upon by Al-Bukhari and Muslim. The Prophet ﷺ said to Abu Bakr, say, O oh Allah, I have oppressed myself a great amount of oppression, a great amount of shortcoming, a great amount of wrong. So forgive, oh, and nobody forgives the sins except you. I have fallen into error plentifully, I have erred plentifully, I have shortcomings to a great degree, and nobody forgives these sins except you. So forgive me with a forgiveness from you. Forgive me with your forgiveness from a forgiveness from you. Warhamni and have mercy upon me. Innaka antal rahim. Indeed you are the oft forgiving and the oft merciful. So this is another dua that the Prophet ﷺ taught, that it can be recited at the end of the prayer, this dua to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive you for your shortcomings, to forgive you for your errors, to forgive you for your sins, to make this dua to Allah for that forgiveness, that is another one that the Prophet ﷺ, he has mentioned. And in this dua, a servant, he recognizes his position, recognizes that he is a weak creation, he is somebody who has errors, he is somebody who has shortcomings, he has somebody who has a shortfall in his actions, 
in his behaviors, in committing sins, etc. So therefore a person recognizes this shortcoming of his and submits himself to Allah seeking forgiveness from Allah. That is also from the supplications that are recommended to recite at the end of the prayer. After that, وَعَنْ وَائِلِ بْنِ حُجَرِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قَالْ صَلَّيْتُ مَعَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ فَكَانَ يُسَلِّمُ عَنْ يَمِينِهِ السَّلَامُ عَلَيْكُمْ وَرَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ وَبَرَكَاتُهُ وَعَنْ شِمَالِهِ السَّلَامُ عَلَيْكُمْ وَرَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ وَبَرَكَاتُهُ رواه أبو داود بسند صحيح In this hadith, Wa'il ibn Hujar radiallahu anhu says, I prayed with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he used to give salam to the right. When finishing the prayer at the end, he says the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa used to give salam to the right. And he used to say, Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Then he used to give salam to the left and say, Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. In this hadith then it explains to us the manner of concluding the prayer. The manner upon concluding the prayer. And the conclusion of the prayer by obligation. Absolutely it must be with the salam. Must be with the taslim. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. That is the manner in which the prayer is concluded. That is the way that you finish your prayer. And a person does not exit from his prayer until he has done that final salam. That is when you now finish the prayer and you are out of it. Before that final salam, you do not exit from the prayer otherwise. So the shaykh says, فِيهِ دَلِيلٌ عَلَى فَرْضِيَّةِ التَّسْلِيمِ مِنَ الصَّلَةِ وَأَنَّهُ لَا يَخْرُجُ مِنْهَا إِلَّا بِذَلِكَ كَمَا أَنَّهُ لَا يَدْخُلُ فِيهَا إِلَّا بِتَكْبِيرَةِ الْإِحْرَامِ So a person does not come out of the prayer, doesn't finish his prayer until you do the salam. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Until you do that salam, you've not come out of your prayer, you haven't finished your prayer. Just like at the beginning, you can't start your prayer until you say, Allahu Akbar, the first takbirah. Without that first Allahu Akbar, you haven't entered into the prayer. You can't just stand up and start reciting Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Must be with the Allahu Akbar at the beginning to enter the prayer. And at the end to exit from the prayer, then it must be with the salam. So here it mentions the obligation of that. So a person does not exit the prayer until he finishes with that salam. And there is another hadith from the Prophet ﷺ which clearly highlights that. And that is where the Prophet ﷺ said, تَحْرِيمُهَا التَّكْبِيرُ وَتَحْلِيلُهَا التَّسْلِيمُ that the prayer, tahrimuha, meaning that all of the other affairs, they are now made impermissible for you. You are now in the state of prayer with the takbir. And the tahliluha, meaning that you're now free, you exited from that with a taslim. So you enter with the takbir, Allahu Akbar, and you exit from the prayer, finish with the taslim, assalamu alaikum. In this hadith now, there is this issue. Well, there are some issues to be mentioned. The first of those is, أَنَّهُ لَا يَخْرُجُ مِنَ الصَّلَاةِ إِلَّا بِالتَّسْلِيمِ فَلَوْ خَرَجَ مِنْهَا بِدُونِ تَسْلِيمِ مُتَعَمِّدًا فَإِنَّهَا تَبْطُلْ 
وَإِذَا كَانَ نَاسِيًا يَعُودُ وَيَجْلِسْ كَمَا كَانَ ثُمَّ يُسَلِّمْ عَنْ يَمِينِهِ وَعَنْ شِمَالِهِ ثُمَّ يَسْدُدْ لِسَّهُ If a person prays all of his prayer, sits down, does the last tashahud and everything, but then purposely doesn't bother to do the salam, doesn't bother to do the salam, and just gets up and walks away. His prayer is nullified. A person who on purpose doesn't do the salam at the end, does everything else. Does the final tashahud, everything, but then doesn't do a salam alaykum, salam alaykum, just gets up and walks off, then his prayer is nullified. If a person forgot and did that, a person forgot and did that, forgot to give the salam and finished, and then he realized, wait, I haven't done the salam yet. Then the shaykh says he needs to sit back down again, stay in that place, or sit back down again, and then do the salam and then do the prostration of forgetfulness. So that final salam must be done. The second issue to be mentioned here is, how is the salam, the taslim at the end, to be recited? How is that to be said? صِيغَةُ taslim, As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah هَذَا الَّذِي عَلَيْهِ أَكْثَرُ الْرِوَايَاتِ The majority of the narration say, that a person is supposed to say, Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. That is what the majority of the narrations they say. And there are some narrations that say, you add the word wa barakatuhu. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. There are some narrations that have that addition within it also. But the majority of the narrations only say Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. So if a person only says Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, this is what the majority of the narrations indicate. This is what is well known amongst the people of knowledge. And that is the uh, way that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam used to do it in the majority of time. In the majority of the times, the Prophet ﷺ used to say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. But as we said, there are narrations, some narrations, that say you can add, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. That is mentioned in some narrations. So it's no problem, there is no issue, it is correct if a person sometimes did the final taslim with the wabarakatuhu as well, that is perfectly acceptable. And that is perfectly good. It is within the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. The third issue to mention is, how many times do you have to do the final taslim? Is it enough just to do it to your right hand side, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, or must it be to the right hand side and then to the left hand side as well? Must it be both to the right and to the left until you are finished and out of the prayer? Or is it sufficient just to do it to the right hand side and you are out of the prayer? Like as is practiced often in the janazah prayer for example. In the janazah prayer you would do one taslim to the right and it's finished. Is that the case with the obligatory prayers as well that one taslim is enough? Or must it be both? This particular hadith indicates what? This hadith indicates that you must do two. Because the hadith says, that I prayed with the Prophet ﷺ, and he used to do, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu to his right, and then he used to do it to his left as well. The hadith mentions both sides. 
So this hadith indicates that you do the taslimah, the final, uh, uh, the salam as you say, to both sides. There are some narrations and some of the scholars have mentioned, however, that one is enough to the right hand side. That when a person does it on his right hand side, then that is sufficient in terms of a person now being able to exit from the prayer. Some of the scholars have mentioned that. Uh, however, a Shaykh al-Fawzan says that the narrations and what they indicate is that the two should be done on the right hand side and to the left hand side. And this is something which is more encompassing, the Shaykh says. It is more uh, uh, encompassing uh, regarding the narrations in terms of doing it both sides to the right and to the left. But the Shaykh, he goes on to explain, خِلَافًا لِمَنْ ظَنَّ أَوْ زَعَمَ أَنَّهُ تَكْفِي تَسْلِيمَ وَاحِدًا عَنْ يَمِينِهِ بَلْ لَا بُدَّ مِنْ تَسْلِيمَتَيْنِ وَهَذَا فِي الْفَرِيضَ مُتَأَكَّدٍ أَمَّا فِي النَّافِلَ فَبَعْضُ الْعُلَمَاءِ يَقُولُ تَكْفِي تَسْلِيمَ وَكَذَلِكَ فِي صَلَاةِ الْجَنَازَةِ تَكْفِي تَسْلِيمَ وَاحِدًا أَمَّا الْفَرِيضَ فَإِنَّهُ لَا بُدَّ مِنْ تَسْلِيمَتَيْنِ وَهَذَا هُوَ الْمَشْهُورُ عِنْدَ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ وَهُوَ الْأَحْوَطُ وَالْأَبْرَأُ لِلذِّمَّةِ فَلَا يُقْتَصِرُ عَلَى تَسْلِيمَةٍ وَاحِدَةٍ The Shaykh says that the majority of the people of knowledge what is mentioned is and what is established is that a person in the obligatory prayers should certainly do it on both sides. This is what the Shaykh al-Fawzan mentions, is with the majority of the scholars, or what is popular and well known and established amongst the scholars, is to do it to the right and to do it to the left. However, he mentions that some of the scholars, they say in the supererogatory prayers, uh, prayers that are not of the obligatory nature, uh, for example, within that the janazah prayer and other prayers of that nature, then it's permissible to do just one taslima. Just to the right hand side and conclude upon that. But he says in the obligatory prayers you should do both. And this is what is more encompassing to fulfill your right. Uh, and you should not just do the one in the obligatory prayers. But anybody who wishes to gain more detail regarding that affair, then you should revise from the book of Shaykh al-Albani, uh, rahimahullah ta'ala, uh, his book regarding the description of the Prophet's prayer. And inshallah you'll find more detail in there regarding this issue of whether one is enough or you must do both. After that, now we've reached what stage? We've reached the stage now where you've concluded the prayer. You've done the salam. Now these narrations that are left in this chapter, they are going to talk about what the Prophet ﷺ used to do straight after finishing the prayer. What did the Prophet ﷺ used to do straight after finishing the prayer, saying "Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah"? Then, what did the Prophet ﷺ used to do next? We have the hadith of Al-Mughira ibn Shu'ba radiyallahu anhu. Anna al-Nabiya sallallahu kana yaqulu fi dubri kulli salatin maktuba, la ilaha illa Allah wahdahu la sharika lah. له الملك وله الحمد وهو على كل شيء قدير اللهم لا مانع لما أعطيت ولا معطي لمن لما منعت ولا ينفع ذا الجد منك الجد متفق عليه ولا ينفع ذا الجد منك الجد 
Al-Mughirat ibn Shu'bah radiallahu anhu says that the Prophet wasallam used to say at the end of every obligatory prayer. He used to say, he used to supplicate, he used to recite at the end of each obligatory prayer, La ilaha illallahu wahdahu la sharika lah, lahu al-mulku wa lahu al-hamdu wa huwa ala kulli shayin qadir. Allahumma la mani'a lima a'atayta wa la mu'atiya lima mana'ata wa la yanfa'u dhal jaddi minkal jadd. That, O oh Allah, or rather, that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah alone without any partners. To Him belongs all of the kingdom, the dominion, and to Him is all of the praise, and He is the one all capable upon every affair. O oh Allah, there is nobody who can prevent what you give, and there is nobody who can give what you prevent. And it will not benefit or uh, the riches, the riches of a person will not benefit or avail a wealthy person against you. So this is a dua that the Prophet ﷺ used to read at the end of every obligatory prayer. لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد وهو على كل شيء قدير لا اللهم لا مانع لما أعطيت ولا معطي لما منعت ولا ينفع ذا الجد منك الجد that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah, Him alone without any partners or associates. To Him belongs all of the kingdom, the dominion. To Him is all of the praise. And He is all capable of all affairs. Be all able upon everything. O oh Allah, there is no one who can prevent what you give. And there is nobody who can give what you prevent. And it will not benefit the riches of a person will not avail that wealthy person against you. So this is one of the du'as that the Prophet ﷺ used to recite at the end of each of the obligatory prayers. And the meaning of this du'a, the opening section of it again is an acknowledgement of the tawheed of Allah. And this is why we said every aspect uh, or from all of the aspects, the tawheed is the basis of the religion. So after every obligatory prayer, the Prophet ﷺ used to recite this dua, this supplication indicating the tawheed of Allah. La ilaha illallah, wahdahu la sharika lah. Then after that also, accepting and understanding and submitting to the decree of Allah, that only what Allah gives you will attain, and what Allah prohibits, then you will not attain that nobody can stop what you give and nobody can give what you prevent. So all of the control of the affairs is within the control of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that every affair is within the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and nothing occurs outside of the decree of Allah. And that's why it's mentioned in some narrations, لَوْ اِجْتَمَعَ النَّاسُ عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَنْفَعُوكَ بِشَيْءٍ لَمْ يَنْفَعُوكَ بِشَيْءٍ إِلَّا, لم ينفعوك إلا بِشَيْءٍ قَدْ كَتَبَهُ اللَّهُ لَكَ that if all of the people they got together to benefit you with something, then they would not be able to do so. Except if something, except if that was something that was written for you by Allah. And if all of the people, they would not be able to harm you, even if they all gathered to harm you, except if that was something Allah had decreed. So if all of the people got together to do something good for you, they would not be able to, if it was not decreed by Allah. 
And if all of the people planned against you to do something evil to you, then they would not be able to unless that was written in the decree upon you. So you recognize and you affirm that this is from the rububiyyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this dua after every obligatory prayer. And similarly at the end of the section regarding riches cannot avail a wealthy person against you. So a person, it is not about his wealth, it is not about his power and his status. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looks at the hearts of the people. It is not the wealth of a person or his lineage or any other affair. The beauty of his body, whatever it may be. Those are not the affairs that will be looked at. Rather, it will be the taqwa, the iman, the tawheed in the heart of a person. So this is another very beneficial dua that the Prophet ﷺ used to recite. And this is a dua that he used to regularly recite. How do we understand that? Because in the narration it says, كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم. كَانَ here it indicates al-istimrar. That he used to regularly always do that. He always used to regularly recite this dua at the end of his prayers. Of the end of the obligatory prayers. The next hadith. وَعَنْ سَعَدِ بْنَ بِوَقَاسِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ أَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يتعوذ بِهِنَّ دُبْرَ الصَّلَاةِ اللَّهُمَّ إِنِّي أَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنَ الْجُبْنِ وَأَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ أَنْ أَرُدَّ إِلَىٰ أَرْضَ لِلْعُمْرِ وَأَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ فِتْنَةِ الدُّنْيَا وَأَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ عَذَابِ الْقَبْرِ رواه البخاري In this hadith of Imam al-Bukhari or narrated in the sahih of Imam al-Bukhari it's the hadith of Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas where he says that the Prophet ﷺ used to seek refuge at the end of the prayer he used to seek refuge in Allah, protection in Allah. At the end of the prayer, with this particular dua, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-jub, that, oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from cowardice. This characteristic, which is a dispraiseworthy type of characteristic, a characteristic of weakness, a characteristic which indicates a lack of strength, a lack of resolve. This characteristic of cowardice, so the Prophet ﷺ used to seek refuge in Allah from having this type of uh, state within of himself to seek refuge from Allah from this state of cowardice, from this dispraiseworthy type of characteristic, uh, a characteristic that may prevent you from fulfilling the rights of Allah. It may prevent you from establishing the good and warning against the evil because you're too afraid of the people. You have this cowardice in you perhaps. So this is a characteristic that is uh, the opposite of being brave. And that is a characteristic, this cowardice, that is dispraiseworthy. So the Prophet ﷺ used to seek refuge in Allah to prevent this characteristic and to uh, safeguard himself from that. Also, it is mentioned in some narrations, Al-Bukhl. Al-Bukhl is also mentioned in some narrations of this hadith, which is miserliness. To seek refuge in Allah from the characteristic of miserliness. Being miserly is another characteristic which is dispraiseworthy. So the Prophet ﷺ again used to seek refuge in Allah from this characteristic of being miserly that would prevent you from giving from your wealth which is a blessing from Allah upon you in the first place. 
may prevent you from giving that wealth to the rightful causes, to the building of the masajid, to the other rightful causes. The miserliness prevents you from doing so. So again, this is a dispraiseworthy characteristic that the Prophet ﷺ sought the refuge in Allah from uh, uh, from that characteristic. Then after that, وَأَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ أَنْ أَرُدَّ إِلَىٰ أَرْضَ لِلْعُمَرِ أَرْضَ لِلْعُمَرِ يعني الهرم الذي يعيد الإنسان إلى مثل حالة الطفولة أو أقل فيضعف عقله وتضعف مداركه ويضعف جسمه فيصبح أقل من الطفل This part, the Prophet ﷺ used to seek refuge from falling into a state in your elderly age, where a person begins to lose his abilities. Some people when they become in a very elderly state, then their situation, their state, is that comparable to a child, in terms of what they are able to do, in terms of what they say, in terms of what they can remember. When a person becomes very elderly, some people they may find themselves in a state, where they are comparable in their faculties, and in their abilities to a child. So they lose their abilities, they lose their comprehension, they lose their faculties. So the Prophet ﷺ used to seek refuge from becoming or falling into that type of state. That you become in a state where you have become so weakened in your old age that you begin to lose your faculties, you begin to lose your abilities. So he used to seek refuge in that type of state occurring also. Then also, وَأَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ فِتْنَةِ الدُّنْيَا And I seek refuge in you from the trials of this world. And that was similar to what we already mentioned previously, in terms of the trials of this world. And also, وَأَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ عَذَابِ الْقَبْرِ I seek refuge in you from the uh, punishment of the grave. And that is similar also to the narration that passed by. So this is another hadith now where the Prophet ﷺ used to seek refuge in Allah, make dua to Allah, supplicate to Allah for protection from these things, from cowardice, from miserliness, from these descriptions of uh, becoming in a state of losing your faculties and ability, uh, and also from the trials of this world and the grave. Those types of affairs again, the Prophet ﷺ seeking protection from Allah in or from those types of affairs uh, and those scenarios and situations occurring. Then we have, عن ثوبان رضي الله عنه قال كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا صرف من صلاته استغفر الله ثلاثا وقال اللهم أنت السلام ومنك السلام تباركت يا ذا الجلال والإكرام. This is another dua many people will be aware of. It mentions in this hadith of ثوبان رضي الله عنه that when the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to leave from his prayer, when he used to uh, complete his prayer, then he used to seek forgiveness from Allah three times, Astaghfirullah, 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 and then he used to say, Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam tabarakta ya dhal jalali wal ikram. This dua that you are peace, and from you is peace, uh, and the blessed one, the mighty, the majestic, this is a dua that is also recited at the end of the prayer, seeking forgiveness from Allah three times, al-istighfar thalathan, astaghfirullah, 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 and then, Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam, tabarakta ya dhal jalali wal ikram. So this again, is one of the duas of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, at the end of the prayer, 
seeking forgiveness from Allah, again because this is an appropriate time to seek forgiveness, you've now just performed one of the greatest acts of worship, the prayer, the second highest pillar of Islam. After performing that worship, you then seek forgiveness from Allah for, it could be the case that maybe you fell short in the performance of your prayer, or if there was any other uh, uh, shortcoming or shortfall in your prayer, you seek forgiveness from Allah at the end of the prayer. So you ask for that forgiveness three times, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah. And then after that, this dua, Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam, tabarakti adhal jalali wal ikram. This is a type of dua which indicates the praise to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is a type of dua that indicates the praise to Allah. As-salam is one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As-salam meaning the one who is completely free of any type of shortcoming or any type of deficiency. Completely free from any of those. يعني السلام معناه السالم من الآفات والتغيرات فهو سبحانه وتعالى سالم من كل نقص ومن كل عيب ومن كل آفة So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is free of any deficiency or shortcoming or any type of shortfall تباركت يا ذا الجلال والإكرام This is a phrase which indicates the praise to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, and the uh, request or the uh, indication of the barakah, the seeking of barakah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is another dua which is established and proved in the sunnah that a person can recite at the end of his prayers that you say, Astaghfirullah, 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 and then Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam tabarakti adha al-jalali wal-ikram. After that we have the hadith of Abu Hurairah. رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال من سبح الله دبر كل صلاة ثلاثا وثلاثين وحمد الله ثلاثا وثلاثين وكبر الله ثلاثا وثلاثين فتلك تسع وتسعون وقال تمام المئة لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد وهو على كل شيء قدير غفرت له خطاياه وَإِنْ كَانَتْ مِثْلَ زُبَدِ الْبَحْرِ أو زُبَدِ الْبَحْرِ In this hadith now Abu Huraira, he says that the Prophet وسلم, said, Whomsoever at the end of the prayer, whomsoever at the end of every prayer says, Subhanallah 33 times, Subhanallah, Subhanallah, Subhanallah 33 times, then says, Alhamdulillah 33 times, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, 33 times. Then does the takbir, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, 33 times also. That makes 99. The Prophet said, Tilka tis'un wa tis'un. That is 99. Then he said for the completion of 100, after saying, Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, 33 times each. Then to make it a rounded 100, the hundredth, Supplication is then what is mentioned in the hadith, لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد وهو على كل شيء قدير غفرت له خطاياه وإن كانت مثل زبد البحر. So that final part is the same as what we narrated before. لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد وهو على كل شيء قدير. Same as the earlier narration that the kalima of tawhid. 
There is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah, Him alone, without any associate or partner. To Him belongs all of the dominion, the kingdom. To Him belongs all of the praise. And He is all powerful and capable of every affair. A person recites that as his 100th dua after the 33, 33, 33, making it a 100 supplications altogether after every prayer. Then it says he will be forgiven his sins. His sins will be forgiven even if they were mitla zabad al-wahar, even if they were to the example of the foam, the foam of the sea. When you see the sea and you see the whiteness on top of it, the foam, the foam of the sea on top, then even if they were to that level of sins, then they would be forgiven to that person if he pronounces these recitations. In another narration of this same hadith, another narration of this hadith, it says it is also possible to say, Subhanallah 33 times, Alhamdulillah 33 times, and then Allahu Akbar 34 times, which also therefore concludes to 100 times. So this is another dua from the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam for the one who concludes the prayer to recite at that time. After that, عن معاذ بن جبل رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال له أوسيك يا معاذ لا تدعن دبر كل صلاة أن تقول اللهم أعني على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك رواه أحمد وأبو داود والنسائي بسند قوي Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu anhu says that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said to him, I counsel you, I advise you, O Mu'adh, do not leave at the end of the prayer. Do not ever forget to say this at the end of the prayer, meaning don't ever abandon saying this at the end of the prayer. I.e. always say this at the end of the prayer, which is, Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika wa shukrika, Oh Allah, aid me, aid me and guide me and make me upright upon your remembrance. Upon your remembrance, upon the supplication to you, aid me in being strong upon that. Washukrika, and aid me upon being a grateful servant to you, to being grateful and showing my gratitude to you. Aid me upon that affair. Wahusni ibadatika, and aid me upon uh, ensuring that my worship is performed in the best and the most correct of manners. That my worship is performed in the best and the most correct of manners. So this is the dua that Mu'adh ibn Jabal says the Prophet ﷺ taught him to recite and said to him, do not leave this after the prayers. Do not leave it, say it. Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika. Oh Allah, aid me upon your supplication, your remembrance. And upon showing gratitude to you, and upon ensuring that my worship is performed in the best and proper manner uh, to you, with sincerity and in accordance to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Then after that we have the hadith of Abu Umamah radiallahu anhu qal, qala Rasulullah ﷺ man qara'a ayat al-kursi dubara kulli salatin maktubatin, لم يمنعه من دخول الجنة إلا الموت رواه النسائي وصححه ابن حبان وزاد في الطبراني وقل هو الله أحد In this hadith Abu Umamah رضي الله عنه says that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said Whomsoever recites ayat al-kursi ayat al-kursi Allah la ilaha illa huwa al-hayyu al-qayyum 
whomsoever recites ayatul kursi at the end of every obligatory prayer, then there is nothing that will prevent him from entering paradise except death. I.e., just until death comes. When death comes, then paradise for that person. This again indicates another one of the supplications, therefore, that a person can recite after the prayer, and that is the recitation of uh, ayatul kursi. Uh, it is also mentioned in some of the narrations that the Shaykh mentions here, وَهُوَ قِرَاءَةُ آيَةُ الْكُرْسِ وَقِرَاءَةُ سُورَةُ الْإِخْلَاسِ That a person can also recite Surah Al-Ikhlas, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ وَجَاءَ فِي أَحَدِيثِ أُخَرْ قِرَاءَةَ الْمُعَوَّذَتَيْنِ Also that you can recite Al-Mu'awwadatayni. What's Al-Mu'awwadatayni? Which two surahs are they? The two surahs that are known as the two surahs of seeking refuge in Allah. So it is mentioned in some narrations that they can be recited at the end also, alongside what this narration says regarding Ayatul Kursi. And that is because uh, a person, if he was to examine the meanings of Ayatul Kursi, examine what Ayatul Kursi mentions within it in terms of the names and attributes of Allah, which are multiple names and attributes of Allah. Just in one surah of the Quran, in one ayah of the Quran, one ayah of the Qur'an, ayatul kursi, there are multiple names and attributes within that one ayah. A person who was to examine that and to study that, you would come across not just one or two, not just five or ten, multiple, more than that, names and attributes of Allah within ayatul kursi, from that which is mentioned in terms of the tawheed of Allah. So it has a great impact and it is mentioned as a great ayah of the Qur'an, the greatest ayah of the Qur'an, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he mentioned when the shayateen, the jinn, the magicians, when they used to use the shayateen and the jinn to fly on their carpets in the air, in the sky, a person of iman and tawheed, if he recited ayatul kursi upon him, then the jinn that were carrying his carpet as he was flying in the air, they would not be able to burden the uh, recitation of ayatul kursi, they would collapse and he would collapse to the ground. This is the strength of the uh, Quran and particularly what is mentioned regarding Ayatul Kursi. So that is another supplication, another ayah now from the Quran that a person can recite at the end of the prayer. After that, An Malik ibn al Hawayrith radiallahu anhu qal, qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Sallu kama ra'aytumuni usalli, pray as you have seen me pray. This hadith narrated in Al-Bukhari, pray as you have seen me pray. This is what the whole of this chapter has been based upon. The whole of this section has been based upon regarding praying as the Prophet ﷺ prayed. Praying in the manner that the companions witnessed from the Prophet ﷺ. فَدَلَّ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ عَلَى مَشْرُوعِيَّةِ الْاِقْتِدَاءِ بِصَلَاةِ الرَّسُولِ صلى الله عليه وسلم This hadith therefore very clearly indicates to us that we must pray in the manner that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم prayed. مَنْ رَآهُ صلى الله عليه وسلم بِعَيْنِهِ فَإِنَّهُ يُصَلِّ كَمَا رَآهُ Whomsoever saw the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم with his own eye, the companions, then they pray as they saw the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم prayed directly. وَمَنْ لَمْ يَرَهُ بِعَيْنِهِ فَإِنَّهُ يُسَلِّكَ مَا بَلَغَهُ فِي الْحَدِيثِ الْوَارِدَ عَنْهُ سَأَسَلَّمْ فِي صِفَةِ صَلَاتِهِ 
and whomsoever has not seen the Prophet ﷺ directly with his own eye, then you follow the narrations which have come to you with regards to how the Prophet ﷺ prayed. فَإِنَّ الْأَحَادِيثِ الصَّحِيحَةِ تُعْطِيكَ سُورَةَ الصَّلَاةِ الَّتِي كَانَ يُصَلِّيهَا كَأَنَّكَ تُشَاهِدُهُ Because the narrations about how the Prophet ﷺ used to pray, when you examine them and you go over them, they give to you an illustration. They depict to you how the Prophet ﷺ used to pray to an extent that you are then able to pray in that same manner. So this hadith indicates that it is an obligation upon us that we must follow and we must pray in the manner that the Prophet ﷺ prayed. And whatever was considered as an obligation, then we consider that as an obligation. Whatever was mustahab is mustahab. And the details that follow in that way that we've mentioned before. So this hadith indicates to us that the Prophet ﷺ, he is the example that we follow in everything, including the prayer that we pray five times a day. We take that example from the Prophet ﷺ, and we pray as the Prophet ﷺ prayed. Then we have the narration of Imran ibn Hussein radiyallahu anhu qal, qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi salli qa'iman fa'in lam tastadi' faqa'ida, fa'in lam tastadi' fa'ala jam, wa illa fa'awmi' rawahu al-Bukhari. In this hadith of Imran ibn Hussein radiyallahu anhu, he says that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, pray standing up, as we mentioned before in the description of the prayer, standing up when you start as one of the what? Standing up is what? An obligation, a pillar, a sunnah? Obligatory. Um, obligatory for those who can afford. So wajib, not a rukan. A rukan you mean or wajib? To stand up at the beginning in the prayer. I think it's, it's far. So rukan. Rukun. So this is mentioned in this hadith that a person must stand to pray. The Prophet ﷺ says, stand and pray. If you are not able, then sit. If you're not able to stand, then sit. And if you're not able to do that, then lying down upon your side. And if you can't even pray lying down upon your side, you can't make any movements. You're just sat in one position, you're not able to make any movement of any nature, you're lying down, you're not able to make any movement of any nature, then pray with your eyes. Pray with your eyes, moving your eyes down for the rukur, moving them further down for the prostration, pray just with your eyes. If all of the rest of your body was paralyzed. So in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ explains to us the manner that is befitting for a person to pray. So he said, Salli qa'iman. Uh, here there is a, a narration which is mentioned regarding how uh, this narration came about, the story behind it. And it mentions that the Prophet ﷺ visited uh, Imran ibn Hussein uh, whilst he was ill. He had a particular illness at the time. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, stand and pray. Pray standing. So this indicates, فَدَلَّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْقِيَامُ رُكْنٌ It is an Pillar, it is a pillar of the obligatory prayer. Then he said to him, if you can't stand, then sit and pray. So this indicates that a person who is not able to stand, he is permitted to sit and pray. And whomsoever is not even able to sit and pray, 
then he is able to lie down on his right hand side facing the qibla and pray in that way. Or upon his left hand side if that be the case and facing the qibla and pray. But it is better if he's able to lie on his right hand side if he comes to that situation. Uh, so, a person has these various different ways of performing the prayer. That he either stands and prays, if he's unable, he sits and prays. If he's unable, he can lie down upon his side and pray. And if that is not even possible, the uh, upon your right side or upon your left side, فَإِن لَمْ يَسْتَطِعْ فَمُسْتَلْقِيًا وَرِجْلَاهُ إِلَى الْقِبْلَةِ Then he can be uh, perched up. He could be perched up in a particular manner if he's not even able to lie down due to the injury or whatever it may be. So he can't even sit, he can't even lie down, but he's perched up against something in the manner that he is upon his hospital bed or whatever it may be. Then he can uh, be perched up in that way with his legs facing towards the qibla, uh, with that direction of the qibla, and then he can pray in that way. So a person prays in every uh, situation. A person who is paralyzed even as this narration says at the end, then if you can't do any of that, just indicate with your eyes. Indicate with your eyes, up and down for ruku' and sujood. And pray in that way. Here the shaykh says, therefore, uh, in accordance to this hadith, a person who's praying on a ship or an aeroplane, or even maybe a bus or something of that nature, uh, then... A person should, initially the ruling is that a person should stand and pray. If you're in a ship, or you're in an aeroplane, or you're in uh, a bus, where there is space, physical space, that is allowable and probable, or possible rather, for you to go and stand and pray, then you should stand and pray. It's not the default that if you're sat in a ship, or you're sat in a train, or a bus, or an aeroplane, the default is you just sit and pray in your seat. It isn't. The default is, if you're able to stand, there's a space at the back of the aeroplane, they allow it sometimes. Certain airlines have the space made. Even other airlines who don't have a space made, they allow you most of them. Many of them, they'll allow you to go and use the space at the back. There's a section always where the catering is, there's a small gap there. If you're able to use that by their permission, then that is what you should do. Go and stand in that location for the few minutes after you've spoken to them, whatever it may be, and pray standing up. Same with a train, if there is a luggage area, something where it's possible to stand, uh, then you stand. Same with a bus, if you can somewhere, you stand. So the default is you should stand and pray still. If you're not able to stand and pray, for example, you're on a ship or you're on a train, and there is space maybe, but you're not able to stand because of the movement of the travel. The ship is in heavy waters, you're not able to stand in one place, you're being moved around due to the storm or whatever it may be. The train, the way that it's moving on the tracks, it's not possible to hold still. So if that was a case of that nature, that you felt that it would be a danger to stand, there could be some uh, uh, issue of falling and hurting yourself because of the movement of the travel, it's not possible to stand carefully and properly to pray, then in that situation you could sit. Or for example, if a person felt that uh, if he was to stand and pray, in a ship or some other train, that standing and praying with that slight movement under his feet, it's not stable a ship or uh, a train, that he may end up uh, becoming dizzy, he may end up becoming dizzy and falling or something of that nature, then again it would be permissible to sit and pray. 
But besides those, a fit, healthy person who's able to stand and pray, then on these transportation uh, modes, whatever it may be, you should still attempt to stand and pray if possible. If it isn't possible, then you can sit and pray. But that again also means if it's possible, one of the possibilities is you could stop. You're on a train, you're on a lengthy journey, and halfway on your journey, there's going to be a half an hour stop. The train's going to stop at a particular location. So you can get out and pray at the station in that location if the time is sufficient. Not to say, well, there's no way I can stand on the train anywhere, so I need to sit. You're going to be stopping at this particular station within the prayer time still. So when you stop there, get out and pray with the arkan of the prayer. One of them, the rukun of standing. So you always attempt to fulfill the uh, arkan of the prayer even when upon the transportation modes, unless you're in those situations where it's not possible, then you can sit and pray. Even then, the scholars, they say, you attempt to fulfill as many of the rites as we've mentioned regarding this act of worship. So facing the Qibla, you're on an airplane, for example, and you're not able to stand anywhere. Health and safety, whatever they tell you on particular airlines, sometimes they do, you're not allowed to go and stand at the back. So you have to sit, there's nothing else you can do. So you sit on your chair, the scholars, they say, still... Your chair is obviously facing one way and the aeroplane is obviously heading in one way. You still have to find where the Qibla direction is. If the Qibla happened to be to the right hand side, the aeroplane is going that way. The Qibla is outside the window on the right hand side. They say sit in your chair, but face your body as much as you're able to the right hand side. Face your body as much as you're able to the right hand side and pray. Or if it's to the left hand side, face it as much as you're possible to the left hand side and pray. So a person should still attempt to fulfill that to the best of his ability. And this is what Allah mentions in the Quran, And fear Allah to the best of your ability. So this hadith indicates the one who can't stand, you can sit and pray. The one who can't sit, you can lie down and pray. And all of that is permissible in accordance to the situation of a person. Then we come to the final narration, which is the hadith of Jabir, radiyallahu anhu, the last hadith in this chapter. أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لمريض صلى على وساده فرمى بها وقال صل على الأرض إن استطعت وإلا فأومي إيماء واجعل سجودك أخفض من ركوعك رواه البيهقي بسند قوي ولكن صحها أبو حاتم وقفه In this hadith of Jabir it mentions that a person who was ill prayed upon a wisada, a wisada, a type of cushion or a pillow, and then afterwards he removed it. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, pray upon the earth if you're able. If you're not able to pray directly upon the earth, you're not able to move the, make the movement down to the earth, then indicate, pray with indication if you're not able to do that, and make your prostration lower with your indication than your ruku'ah. The Shaykh says the meaning of this hadith is, هذا الحديث فيه أنه لا يشرع للإنسان المريض أن يجعل شيء مرتفعا يسجد عليه بل إن استطاع أن يسجد على الأرض وجب عليه ذلك وإن لم يستطع فإنه يكتفي بالإيماء وأما جعل شيء مرتفع يسجد عليه فهذا من التكلف الذي لم يشرعه الله سبحانه وتعالى فالدين أيسر من هذا ولله الحمد فَإِنْ إِسْتَطَاعَ مُبَاشَرَةً أَسْسُجُودَ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ فَهَذَا هُوَ الْأَصْلُ وَإِنْ لَمْ يَصْلَعَ فَإِنَّهُ يَكْتَفِي بِالْإِيمَاءِ بِرَأْسِهِ وَيَجْعَلُ سُجُودَهُ أَخْفَضَ مِنْ رُكُوعِهِ وَمِنْ أَجْلِ التَّمْيِيزِ بَيْنَهُمَا وَيَكْفِي هَذَا If a person is ill, a person is ill and he can't, he's ill or he has some injury 
and he's unable to prostrate, he's unable to bend down to the earth to prostrate. He's unable to bend down that far. So what he decides to do is to bring like maybe for example, uh, a stool or a chair for example. Puts it in front of him, puts maybe a cushion on top of it or something. And whilst he's sitting and praying, he thinks that chair that he's put in front of him with the cushion on top for example, when it comes to the sujood, he'll go down with his head onto the, this item that he's put in front of him. So that he thinks now I'm doing like a proper sajda now. I'm doing a proper prostration now, I'm putting my head down on something, putting my hands down on something, because his injury or his illness prevents him from bending all the way down to the ground. This is what's mentioned that occurred on one occasion, that a person who was ill, he placed like a cushion or something in front of him, elevated up from the ground, so that when he prostrated, he could bend to that level. He could bend to the level of how high the cushion was, but he couldn't go all the way down to the ground. So he put the cushion in front of him, so that when he prostrates, he'll be able to reach the cushion, and that will be like the makeshift ground where he prostrates upon. The Prophet ﷺ said to him, if you're able to pray upon the earth, then do so. And if you're not, then simply do your indications as mentioned before. If you're not able to bend down, you can't, it's impossible, your injury, your illness, then you simply point with your eyes, point with the eyes to the direction. Or if you're able to bend slightly, do as much as you're able with your sujood, being lower than your ruku'ah. But if you're not able to get to the ground, you can't make the prostration, then you do your indication with your eyes. So the shaykh says the religion is easy. There is no need for this additional uh, complication of saying, I can't bow all the way down, I can't bend that far down, so bring me a chair or something and I'll prostrate upon the chair in front of me. Then at least I'll be putting my head down, I'll be putting my hands down. The shaykh says that isn't the way, the religion here isn't in that way of complication. If a person is able to get down to the ground and prostrate, then so be it. That is the way. If you're not able, then there is no need for this complication of bringing something and making it higher up. Rather, in that case, then you simply indicate with your eyes, and that is sufficient if you're unable to physically get down to the prostration. And that is where this particular section of this particular section comes to a conclusion. We're in the section of the prayer. This is the whole book of the prayer. Then within this book of the prayer, we were now particularly in the chapter about the description of the prayer. So now we've concluded the chapter about the description of the prayer from the overall book about the prayer. There are other chapters in this book. There is the chapter about the pr uh, prostration of forgetfulness. When do you do the prostration of forgetfulness? There is the chapter about the supererogatory prayers. What are the supererogatory prayers? When do you pray them? Which types? There is a chapter about congregational prayer. What are the rulings for a congregational prayer and the rulings for an imam? So there are various chapters. This chapter now we've concluded is the chapter regarding the description of how the Prophet ﷺ used to pray. So inshallah ta'ala, we hope that's been of benefit and everybody should go over and revise that section. And we'll continue with a lesson in two weeks time. InshaAllah ta'ala wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een.